The mentor that I learned from said, do good work, don't cheat the customer, always come through, and you're never going to have to worry about finding work ever again. You know, 15 years later, I still have that in my mind. That's still the goal of today of, you know, of my business. That's the voice of Aaron Moore, owner of Moore's Refinishing. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsors. Introducing Astra HP, the newest high-performance innovation in cutting-edge technology from bits and bits. Let me tell you what's new about it. It's incredibly thin, measuring at just 0.3 microns. It's also tougher than ever with an impressive 5,000 Vickers hardness, and it's specially designed to reduce friction and heat buildup, leading to cleaner cuts and longer tool life. Available now on all their newest spiral CNC bits and router bits. So if you want to check it out yourself, go to bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S dot com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Aaron Moore, owner of Moore's Refinishing. Customer service is key. That's Aaron's business practice in a nutshell. Yes, you have to be great at your job. Yes, you have to understand how to price your work. And yes, you have to know how to handle your employees But to pull everything together and be a successful company, you need to have that customer service down to a science. For over 20 years, Aaron has been building his skills in finishing and his skills in keeping customers happy, all while still making the money he needs to keep his business running smoothly. So follow along as we talk about trying new things for industry growth, buying into a business versus starting from scratch, the joys of teaching your skills to others, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Aaron's story in his own words. So yeah, I've always been a, you know, a hands-on person. Little kid, I was always building little forts or or, you know, ramps or anything out of wood. Uh, probably, you know, the, the woodworking didn't really start till high school woodshop. You know, I would have been a woodshop prodigy, probably 2002, 2003, 2004. And they, um, uh, you know, kind of refined my skills. Probably by 2003, I knew I wanted to own my own business. Didn't know what it would be. It would be, you know, something in the wood industry. Kind of ironically, the... Um, you know, I knew a girl in high school whose dad owned a refinishing business. And that's kind of, you know, one day I asked him if I could have a job. And he ironically was taking on a new apprentice because he was taking over the business. All of a sudden, you know, here I am in 2004, right before graduating high school, starting in a woodworking shop, just doing the grunt work, stripping furniture, um, sanding, cleaning, you know, sweeping the floors, you know, started from the bottom. You think you're going to learn refinishing in six months or a year, it took me, I think, three and a half years to learn everything in this trade. And, you know, I'm still perfecting to this day. Now, we're going to get into the refinishing, into the furniture making, into what you're doing. But I want to take a moment to stay on this topic for a minute, because a lot of people, when they start their own business, they think they need to start everything from the ground up. They need to get all the tools. They need to get all the clients. They need to get all of that. And and it has to be brand new. But someone like you, you bought out a business that was already a business that had been going on for a number of years. So you didn't have to start from square one. Can you talk about 
that experience and if you'd recommend it or if it's better to start from scratch and what are the good and bad parts of buying out another business? I was being poached by the the refurnisher who I bought the business from since I was about the age of 21. He offered it to me for a lot of money. At 21, it was an imaginary amount of money. Never even you know seen that much money. 22, he offered it to me again. And by 23, I was kind of ready to go out on my own, knew I wanted to start my own business and you know took the leap because it really wasn't a risk at the value that he was going to give me the business for. You know, from that point, it was a business that was started in 1959 as a refinishing shop. The guy that I bought it from was the apprentice back in the 70s and 80s. He ended up taking it over in the 80s and worked all the way to 2010 when he sold it to me. And, you know, it's it's not his brand anymore. Now it's turned into, you know, Moore's Refinishing. That's the brand. I've created that portion. He sold me the business and the like the ability to start to get, he gave me that chance, that opportunity. And, you know, I'll be forever grateful for that. So yeah, taking over an existing business is, is something I would highly recommend today. You know, the earlier, the better you can do it. I took over at 23 years old. I didn't have a mortgage. I had no kids. I had no wife. You know, it was a good time to take risk in my life to grow the business to what it is today. You know, I've been in business now for 14 years you know, now I have the wife, the kids, the house, you know, all the payments, but now we're established. The business is built. And, you know, in today's industry, I, I always kind of tell people that I, I had a 10 year plan. Uh, 10 years ago, I said, all the people I know in the industry are going to start retiring. They're all in their 50s, 60 years old. They're going to start retiring, move on. And who's going to be over to take over their businesses? And that's exactly what happened in, you know, in 2020, all the people that I knew in the industry either shut down, retired, or just, you know, gave up, didn't want to do anymore. And, you know, they were you know of that age that they wanted to you know, move on and slow down, not move businesses, not fight through the pandemic, any of those types of things. So now I'm, you know, out here in Orange County, there's not a lot of refinishers that do what we do. So, you know, my, my recommendation would be to start, you know, start now. You don't need all the high-end tools. You don't need all the, what you really need is the knowledge. You need the knowledge to move up in quality, move up in your skills. Uh, everything else will come in time. I, that's what I did. Speaking about getting the knowledge, and I know you can't pack 20 plus years of experience into a little soundbite here, but when you were learning originally, when you were you know, apprenticing, what were some of those things that when you look back on, you said, I'm really glad I paid attention to that, or I'm really glad I spent extra time learning that. So I think, you know, refinishing pianos will teach you a lot of things is, is patience. You know, a lot of people want to get into woodworking, but can't sit there and literally watch paint dry. They, you know, they, that's a lot of this job. So now, you know, you have to plan accordingly. You have to know what to to expect when you know building a piece of furniture, you have to let glue dry. You know, patience is you know the hardest thing to teach someone. You either have it or you don't, and that's you know that would be what I recommend to you know all new builders, refinishers, you know anybody in the woodworking industry. It is funny you you are actually your profession is watching paint dry and making sure it dries well. So <laughs> patience does come into play a lot there. I can see that. You were saying now that a lot of people in the industry retired, and so you have a much bigger customer base 
to pull from, but those customers still need to be able to find you. How are you putting your brand out there? How are you being top of mind for those types of people who are looking for their pieces to be refurbished, refinished, fixed up in general? So I've never paid for any type of advertisement in Yellow Pages or those old school you know, advertising methods. Um, the mentor that I learned from said, do good work. Don't cheat the customer. Always come through. And you're never going to have to worry about finding work ever again. You know, 15 years later, I still have that in my mind. That's still the goal of today of, you know, of my business. You know, for about 10 years, it was just do good work. Uh, please the customer, and then they're going to pass it on to the next customer. You know, it just, and it snowballed, you know, two to four, four to six, you know, six to 20 and, you know, so on and so forth. It, it snowballed to my, I call it my spider web of clients. My, my world that, you know, I've created has just become a brand. So it's only been about three years now that I just decided one day to start posting every day on Instagram. That was my, my, you know, my shining, you know, moment looking back now is I just started, you know, same thing about patience. It took four months to see any type of feedback, any type of growth from Instagram, but I just kept pushing along, getting the, you know, the reels understood. I'm feeling out how to make stories, how to do the, you know, all the above. I'm not an internet kind of person in my own social life, my own personal life. I don't use social media for, you know, making reels or any of those things. It's all for my business. So now we've created a brand and grown almost you know worldwide. We have people all over the world following us, wishing they could send us their furniture to restore. You know, instead we have you know the Western U.S. sends us stuff all the time. We have customers from the East Coast that will ship stuff to us. So we've created that brand online. You know, kind of natural growth, showing the work behind the scenes. You know, there's no there's no curtain here at the shop like the the Instagram the the Twitter or X, all of those, we post on all of them because you never know who's going to see it. It might be the same video, but it will have a different reach on all, all the platforms. I want to talk a little bit more about customers and customer service because that is your biggest way you're getting people. You're not really advertising, like you said. You're not putting a brand out there. It's really just your work that you're putting out there, and that's how you're growing your customers. With refinishing, as opposed to building from scratch furniture, there's a history to this furniture. There's a history before it comes to you. And sometimes people are buying things from thrift stores or estate sales, and they don't have a connection to it. But a lot of times, I have to imagine that when somebody wants something refinished, it's because it has sentimental value to them. It came from their family or it was theirs and it got messed up and they want it fixed. So there's an emotional part of it. How are you talking to your clients and being able to deal with that emotional part of it, but also keep it in the realm of this is a business and it's a business decision and we have to talk about it like that as well? Well, I mean, this is what keeps me in the, you know, in the industry is we see a lot of refinishing pieces that come in. We restore them. They go to a dealer. They get sold. You know, I never see them again. But it's those special customers that will will bring you know their family heirloom piece in. I mean, I have I had one just a few months ago. It might have been end of last year. 
customer played on this desk when she was, I believe, a little girl. She sat at this little, uh, ro- uh, was it mahogany? It was a mahogany desk and it had about six layers of paint on it. And she remembers her grandmother using this at her house. And now it's been passed down through the generations. Each generation passed a new color, you know, painted a new color onto it. And, you know, we, we brought it back to life. We stripped all the old paint off, you know, sanded it, repaired it, glued the entire frame back up. And then when the customer came in, she was almost bawling her eyes out, seeing it, remembering what it looked like when she was five years old. You know, that, that's why I still enjoy doing this or, or those special memories because those are priceless. You know, value wise, it was not a very valuable desk. They put a lot of money into it, but the memories of that desk were more important than money to this customer. And, you know, that was creating the brand of Moore's Refinishing. They knew we could restore this desk. They wanted us to do it. They looked at other people and then saw our social media, our website, and wanted to, you know, they, they didn't care about the dollar amount to bring it back to life. It was all about sentimental. And that's priceless to you know, many customers over the years. Emotions and making people happy is probably the best part of your job to to know that you finished something and somebody is, like you said, crying about it. They're they're having the memories. They're they're reliving it and they're loving it. But there's also that other side of people have emotions and things and they could get upset if it doesn't go right. And if that gets messed up, then you can't just build them another one. It's not a, a goldfish that you're like, this is now gone. Here's another one that I got from the store. So <laughs> how on a technical side are you protecting yourself while you're working on other people's pieces? So probably in you know in the 20 years of doing this, I've seen just about everything. I mean, we do get thrown for a curveball every once in a while. But in, in this case of the secretary desk that I was just explaining, we wanted to go back to the mahogany color, but there were five layers of paint. And I had no clue what was underneath there. When you paint a piece of furniture, usually there's something secretive hiding under either past veneer, layers of Bondo. It, it, I've seen it all underneath the paint. So, you know, on... On the pieces that I'm always unsure about with the restoration, I protect myself by telling the customer, we don't know what's underneath this paint. And I can't quote it completely until we see. I can't guarantee it's going back to wood. Uh, When you paint over furniture and you don't protect it with sealer properly prior to the paint, I'll call it the white paint will get in the grain. And there's no easy way to get that out. Like white paint in mahogany will usually stick and, and stay. There's no correcting it. You know, so I protect myself by, you know, just being open with the customers. If I don't think I could do a job, I pass on it. I tell the customers I've never seen this before. I don't know what we could do, or I'll give them the opportunity. Hey, let me strip this piece first. Let's get it back down to raw wood. And then we could proceed from there. Here's what it costs to strip and refinish it. And here's what it costs just to strip it. And then we'll go from there. Do you have to carry any special insurance or any different insurance for these types of projects? I don't. I just have the, you know, the typical, you know, insurance for your building and liability insurance. So that way if anything ever happens to the unit itself, everything, all the contents inside are, are protected. We may not be able to replace the piece itself, but at least we could replace them with, you know, a, the monetary dollar value. 
and you know, and make it right as you know as best as we could if something were to ever happen. You said something in the last answer that kind of got a little buried, but I want to bring it to the forefront. And that is that for some pieces, you tell the client that you can't properly quote this until you know more, until you've done more work on it. So let's talk more about that and how your pricing structure works if you're taking on a project that you don't know what the final price will be. How do you explain that to clients? What does that look like for money coming in for you? And just in general, explain that whole process. So like in, in those situations, I think like we, you know, building on the brand that, you know, Moore's Refinishing has created a name for themselves for, uh, you know, for high-end restoration. Like we've seen all the worst damage. We've seen all the, you know, the easiest refinishes to the worst refinishes. So people trust us. And now with social media, they see everything, you know, befores and afters. That's the easiest way to, you know, to brand yourself of quality, show what it looked like before and show, you know, many different angles of it after. So my, you know, my Instagram has tons of those types of videos. And, you know, when a new customer sees me, wants a new quote, you know, if they have one of these unique situations, like I said, it happens very rarely maybe once or twice a year, a job comes up like this and, you know, and I'm just honest with them. Like they've no, there's no secrets. There's no lying. One of my worst, you know, pet peeves is hearing when a contractor takes advantage of a homeowner. You know, I get that all the time. I tell the customer, if we could fix it, here's what it's going to cost here. If, if it's repairable, here's what it's going to cost. But I don't know. That's the best thing is, I've heard other refinishers promise the world to different customers over the years and they strip it down and they can't come through for the customer or they don't get what they expect. And I don't want that. You know, I'm not a confrontational person at all. You know, I don't like when customers are upset with me or, you know, or you know, upset with the work that we've done. So, you know, the story that pops up probably 10 or 11 years ago, I had a homeowner who we painted just a generic cabinet for. I want to say it was painted gray. We finished it all up, looked great, brought it back. And they wondered why the back panel wasn't painted gray at the same time. It was going in the middle of the room. So, you know, that wasn't discussed, you know, on the, you know, on the pickup, on the invoice. So, you know, from that customer on, we finish tops, bottoms, backs, insides. So that way the customer gets a high-end finish. They get the professional finish. And I don't get any confrontation when, you know, upon delivery. When they do, they look on the back, they look, if they wanted to bend underneath, look at the bottom, it's, it's fully finished and restored, you know, to its full potential, you know, more so than even from the factory. So that's what, you know, I think that's what has created, um, a lack of fighting with a customer over pricing or what to price a customer, you know, price a piece for a customer is that I'm open and honest with them. If I could do it, I'll let them know. If I can't do it, I'm going to be open and honest and just say, hey, I don't think we could do this or let me dive into it first. And then, you know, then we will get back to you. We could do something to it. We just don't know if it can go back to a wood color, if it needs to go black, if we have to stain it dark. We won't know those things until it goes back you know, to the raw wood. So you are taking it in and you're charging them to do that first work, but then it's kind of a choose your own adventure after you get all that off to figure out where it goes next, correct? 
that that's a good way to look at it. It is it is very much like that in these situations. Like I said, with with the twenty years of refinishing, I've seen just about every surprise, and you know that it's very rare we see something new. So when a customer asks me a ta- about a table refinish, we've seen it all where the legs are loose, the dowels are falling out where it doesn't line up. Uh, you know, there's scratches on it. That's pretty you know not uh, normal refinishing work here, but it's those, you know, those unknowns is the, the painted furniture, you know, one day seeing all the stuff on social media with everyone painting furniture, you know, you know, with, uh, you know, like the chalk paint and things like that. One day there'll be a person like me who needs to refinish those and they're not going to know what's underneath it. And it'll have the same, same issue. They're going to have to dig into it and find out what's underneath before we bring it back to life again. You're not only just dealing with clients who have emotional attachments to pieces. You're also dealing with stores that are bringing you pieces for a more commercial type application. They're selling them. When you're dealing with that, are you adjusting the way you finish a piece or work with a client when it's a commercial piece rather than a customer piece? because you do need to turn it out faster. There's less of an emotional connection and it's just a transactional interaction. So I charge the same for for every customer, residential, commercial, repeat, you know, dozens of pieces of furniture versus one piece of furniture. So, you know, the, the cost to run the business is still the same, no matter who the customer is. So, you know, that portion of it, the pricing of a piece of furniture, you know, but now for, you know, how do we treat the pieces? I mean, if you if you go through my Instagram, you you'll see we've worked on pieces that, like I said, are are worthless in a dollar amount. Two pieces that have a, a price tag in the you know forty, fifty to sixty thousand dollar range for a piece of furniture. I treat the pieces all the same. To me, the name that's on that piece of furniture is just a name. It, ultimately, it's a piece of walnut. It's a piece of teak, rosewood, etc. We strip it down. We do the repairs. We re, you know restain it, refinish it, and bring it back to life. So you know the person at home who has a two hundred dollar lane coffee table will still get the work uh, you know the same amount of work done to it as the person that has a fifty thousand dollar credenza. You know to me it's just a name that doesn't matter, but it's the you know the quality never changes depending on who the customer is. I think that's why we've maintained you know the name the brand through dealers and the homeowners that you know, the quality is always there. As somebody who started in a business, was hired in a business and went on to take over that business, and I have to think that you had some love for that business and that's why you took it over. For you hiring employees, I know you have some employees that are working with you. What are you looking for in a hire? How are you making sure that you're hiring the people who maybe not taking over the business from you, but hiring people that are good to work with, are, are understanding what needs to be done, are strong workers, because it's hard to find good employees these days. That's the, that's the saying all over the United States right now is finding good help. And I'm definitely in a kind of a niche market that I've gone through a lot of people. I've gone and trialed and you know, trialed and aired with people, tested them. And we don't keep a lot of refinishers here. Refinishing is definitely a unique 
business that you know that not a lot of people want to get into mainly because the the patients it's pretty easy to use a big saw cut you know cabinetry build big kitchens big you know big things i think it keeps a lot more people entertained and maybe they stay longer but like i said finishing is is a hard business to just get into and solely be a finisher like there's there's people who are woodworkers who know how to spray stain or spray clear but there's not a lot of you know people in this industry who solely refinish furniture for a living. That's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to change you know, here in the near future. You've been doing refinishing for 20 plus years. You know it. You've said people come to you, you could do it in your sleep. You know what you're doing. And so instead of just helping clients, instead of just helping customers refinish their pieces, you actually want to go out and help other people, other refinishers or other people who are trying to do their own thing in this furniture refinishing world. And you're doing that by writing a book and sharing your experiences that way. Can you talk about that book a little bit, what you're putting in it, the things that you feel like need to be shared with the refinishing and furniture community as a whole? Yeah. So I was never, I was never really a teacher. Maybe that's the harder part about finding employees. Uh, But back in 2022, I, you know, 36 years old, I had a minor heart attack, you know, recovered from that kind of had a life, you know, life shaping moment and realized what would have happened to me if, you know, if I didn't make it, that was probably, you know, I knew I had to do something with my, you know, the things that are in my brain, following Instagram, following all those things. I've seen so many people doing things improperly in the way that we do it. I wouldn't say that you know, there are 10 ways to refinish a piece of furniture, but there's you know, only one way to do it like me. So I just sat down one day, started writing a checklist of you know, the 20 steps of refinishing furniture that branched out into, I want to make a video course. Let's write a script realizing I had 200 pages of course script, realizing, well, this looks like it's a book. How can I market this? And, you know, one of my friends in the marketing industry who I have been teaching for the last year on how to refinish, she's kind of pushed me and guided me on making this a reality. She has a background in photography. She has a background in in marketing. And she also dreamed of writing a book herself, you know, with the, the, really cool photos with really high-end photography and my skills behind it would be the, you know, the content of the book. So, you know, after the heart attack, I wanted to teach, I've been trying to teach multiple other people in the shop who wanted to learn, who are all on their, a path of, of, you know, learning this skill. The reason I'm doing it is because like we mentioned earlier, I've never had uh, I don't have issues in the shop with my paint. I don't have the drips. I don't have the adhesion issues. And I want to tell people why. And that's, you know, all going to be in this book. It'll be, you know, I believe it's 44 chapters at this point from what paints we use, what touch-up kits we use, why we use a certain sander, you know, uh, how we mix the ratio of lacquer to lacquer thinner to retarder. Because that all matters in your finished product. If you want, you know, if you want a museum quality piece of furniture, you're going to need this book. And I'm going to, you know, I can't tell 50,000 people all at one time how to do it. But if they pick this book up, they can, you know, they could read it. They could have all the sources. They could have all of the content that I've 
trial and error over the last 20 years. That'll skip a lot of headache for a new refinisher, a new builder who wants to finish their own furniture and keep the work in-house. For people who are looking to start a business or for people who are looking to run their business better and understand their business better, what's some advice that you could share over your time doing this and running a business that you think would help other people listening? Always be learning. That would probably be the, the biggest thing. I mean, no matter what it is, you know, I had been in, probably in business for 12 years when I started pushing the social media. I had no clue how to do it. I had refinishing down. It was, you know, I could, I could do it in my sleep. Then I, you know, I branched out. Then I learned more about how to do, make reels, how to do all the social media things, you know, and I mean, that was two to three years of learning that now that I've kind of figured out that you need to hone your skills in. It doesn't hurt to branch out. It doesn't hurt to, you know, try something new. You're not going to be good at it at first. It, it'll take time to, um, you know, to become a professional at, you know, at a, at a second hobby, even a second career, but it's something you can do if it's, if you put your mind to it. I'm looking forward to reading that book and seeing what you, what you share in it, because you have a lot of knowledge that you've built up over the years. So I'm excited to see that. And I want to thank you for sharing your story and your journey up till today. And wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business. You as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.